Well, good morning. My name is John Rauch, and I am the children's pastor here at Grace Community Church. Pastor Jim is, was out of town this week. I was at some meetings over in New York City. I'm sure he's going to tell you about them a little bit, and he's on a fresher this weekend. So he wasn't around this week, and um, we incredibly uh, missed him. Um, love that guy. Nothing but love for him. And just whenever he's away, I'm so sad. <clears throat> Sometimes the staff, we sing that same song we were just singing here in the main, and we were singing over in the link as well. We just think about how much Jim loves us, and we just are sad when he's gone. Today's a pretty special day for Tara and I, my wife. Uh, today, uh, 10 years ago, this very day, our uh, daughter was born, Ellie. And she was our first. So our lives totally changed 10 years ago, right around uh, 12.05, give or take a second or two. And uh, life changes when you have kids, right? Oh my goodness, does it change. Here's a picture of my wife, and um, we have two boys, Ethan and Elisha, and, and there's our daughter, Ellie, there in the middle. I'll never forget Ellie's um, story, how she was born. She was... Uh, she was due October 1st, a day, a, day after, a day after she actually ended up being born. And so that Sunday night, uh, the night before, we were at a, um, a church leadership meeting. Our church in Philadelphia, we were living there at the time. And, um, and, and I remember someone asking Tara, you know, hey, how are you feeling? You know, are you feeling anything? You think anything's going to happen tonight? And, and Tara's like, nah, not tonight. You know, don't, don't feel anything. So we go home, and, and we're hanging out for a few hours, and it's time to go to bed. And, and we're going to bed, and, and we're laying down, and Tara's like, you know, you know, I think that I'm starting to feel, you know, contractions. And uh, she's like, you know, this, this, is, this is different than the ones I sort of have been feeling, and I think these, are, these might be it. And I'm like, you know, a really good supportive um, husband. And so I say, you know, honey, um, well, wake me up if you need anything. And so I, so I roll over and I go to sleep. And I don't sleep very long because I get this elbow in the side saying, no, I'm serious. Like, I think that, you know, I'm having contractions. And so we, uh, you know, go downstairs and we're sitting there in the living room and we're counting the time between, you know, the beginning of the trans, uh, the uh, uh, contractions, which, you know, if, if you've not yet uh, had a child, you'll learn about all this stuff in your pre-birth classes. Uh, they are extremely graphic at some points, uh, uncomfortable for myself when I took them, um, but also helpful and educational, so I would recommend them. So anyway, so, I, you know, so we knew what to do, and so I'm counting out these contractions and, and you know, doing this all night, and finally they're getting stronger, and they're getting closer together, and you know, um, Tara's like, let's call the doctor. She calls, and, and Doc says, yeah, come on in. You know, and so we get there, and, and uh, she's far enough along, she needs to stay. Not as far along as she kind of wished she would have been, you know, so things would kind of move quick. And, and so we're sitting there, we're hanging out, and, and I'm watching this machine. They hook up to this monitor that sort of monitors the contractions, and I think this is great. And, and I'm like, whoa, that one's really high. Like, does that mean it hurts more? And, you know, she's like, she's like feeling all these contractions. She doesn't really care about the technology, and she's like, you're so dumb. And, and so we're sitting there, and she's going through, you know, labor and, and things that at a while then um, start to kind of slow down. And, you know, we were up all night. Uh, we didn't end up getting any sleep. And so, you know, pretty tired. And we're sitting in that labor room. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, it's a small inner city hospital, a small room, sitting on this chair. And I kind of, like, lean over, and I fall asleep. And, and, and I wake up. And I'm kind of like hugging this pillow thing, and I look up, and it's the biohazardous waste material trash can. 
And so I kind of wipe off whatever disease I was just sleeping on. And I look up, and my parents are there. And, and, and my dad's like, John, I'm going to take you downstairs to the cafeteria. You don't look so good. And so he, my wife, uh, stay, or my mom stays there with my wife, and, and I go downstairs with my dad. And literally, we're like sitting down at the table, and my mom comes running in the cafeteria and says, John, get back upstairs. Like, they just put her in the, the living room. She's getting ready to push. And so, oh my goodness. So I run up the steps, get on the gown, and I kind of jump in there. And, and, you know, not too long later, here comes Allie. And, oh my goodness, life changed I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at Tara and, 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 you know, thinking about all the work, you know, she just did. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at Allie, and I just, like, can't believe it. And just for one of the times, one of the only times in my life where I'm literally, like, speechless. Nothing to say. And, and, and I remember this thought just kind of coming across uh, my brain, just sort of hitting me. And it's, oh, my goodness. Like, I'm responsible for this family. And just an overwhelming sense of awe and wonder. My life changed dramatically that day. My ministry also changed that day. You know, I worked with kids in Philadelphia. I worked with kids here. I'm the kids pastor here at Grace Community Church. And, you know, my ministry life changed that day because never again did I, did I give any parenting advice. It was really easy before I had kids to sort of, you know, well, just do this or that or whatever and, once you have kids, you're like, man, it's a lot harder than I thought. It's a lot tougher. And when you're on the outside of something, it's sort of easy to kind of judge and sort of make, you know, assumptions and that kind of thing. But once you're in the middle of it and you're actually doing it, you're like, this is different than I thought. And so my ministry life changed. But, you know, apparently people have a tendency to do that. They kind of sometimes judge from the outside. Have you ever been judged by somebody? Silly question, right? Have you ever judged somebody? Another silly question, right? Yeah, because none of us are clean in this matter. There's something about us as humans that we just judge. And it's not even humans. Even my family cat judges me. You know, I do something wrong at our house, and, and he walks past. He just stops long enough to look at me so I know that he knows. And then he keeps walking past Everybody is a critic. Apparently, even back in Jesus' day, people judged wrongly because he talked about it. Here, during this Gut Check Mountain series that we're doing, Jim has been unpacking these messages here that Jesus gave, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, chapter, uh, chapter uh, 5, verse, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. Go ahead and turn your, turn, get your Bible and turn there um, today. Jim's been taking a look at Matthew 5 and 6, and we're going to pick it up there in verse, or in chapter 7 today. And um, let me just again say, he's done a wonderful job of uh, unpacking these messages for us. Nothing but praise for that guy. So Matthew chapter um, 7 is where we're going to turn today. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers here have some in the link and in the main, and they want to put one in your hand so that you can follow along today. You'll be glad you did. Jesus was teaching this series of sermons on the hillside in a town called Capernaum. And it was on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. i got a picture here I want to show you guys of Israel. And if you take a look, here at the top, um, this blue circle, I circled at the top of the Sea of Galilee where the town of Capernaum was. And the reason that it's interesting that Jesus chose that as his center for his ministry 
is because this other blue circle that's uh, down here at, at the southern end of Israel, um, that is Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel, and is also the religious capital of Israel, and was kind of where life happened. But Jesus didn't pick that to be his spot where he centered his ministry around. Because he wasn't there, he didn't come to this world to only reach the Jewish people, which is what they thought. They thought, why, why wasn't he there? But he came to reach the entire world. And so Capernaum was this much more diverse town, and Jesus chose it as his ministry. Now take a look at these yellow lines that are kind of going around Israel there. Those are like roads that people would travel on. You know, kind of everyday roads. And then you see these red lines. Those are the major highways of that day. And you'll notice the two major highways, one going up the coast there of Israel, and one kind of coming up here on the eastern side of Israel. And then there was a connector road that connected the two. And what did that go right through? The town of Capernaum. And so Jesus chose this place as kind of his center of ministry, where the message that he was getting out, the gospel, would naturally spread throughout the entire world. Because as merchants were traveling through, trading their goods, importing, exporting, as people who were traveling through the world would come through, they would hear about this man who had these incredible teachings. And they would hear about this man who was doing these incredible miracles And news of Jesus and the gospel that he was getting out spread throughout the world. Interesting that Jesus chose this place. And and here in Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, this is kind of like Jesus is setting to to kind of, since we're in political season here, he's setting his platform. You know, this is what he's going to kind of be about. In in Matthew chapter 2, Jesus is just born. Matthew 4 is when, you know, he's tempted by Satan in the desert. He's just getting started Here at the end of 4, he's calling his first disciples, 5, 6, and 7. He's giving his kind of major first set of sermons. And so that's sort of all background to what we've been talking about and where we're going to go today. He's talking to a very religious crowd, but he has a very different spin on how they should be living. And that comes up today. Would you um, stand up and let's take a uh, look at this passage and let's read it together. Matthew 7 And we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Ready? Let's read. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother... Let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, then turn and tear you to pieces. You may have a seat. You know, as I read this passage, and as we were just reading it together, it becomes obvious what the main point is. It's the first sentence, the first three words, in fact, which say, Do not judge. Now, this may be the most quoted verse of Scripture that is out there today. It's quoted way more than like even John 3.16 or something. Do not judge. 
We hear that all the time. Hey, don't judge me. Hey, you shouldn't judge me. Hey, you are Christian. You shouldn't judge, right? We hear it all the time out there in the media. We hear it all the time from our friends. We hear it all the time from our family. My cat hears it all the time from me. I say, hey, do not judge. I hear it all the time from my friends who aren't Christians, who think that Christians are the most intolerant people in the entire world. It's sad that we are known as the most judgmental group that's out there. And that's the reputation that sort of we've been given, sometimes unfairly, sometimes pretty fairly. They're intolerant, and they're judgmental, Christians are, and, and our world is, is tired and fed up of Christians who are judging, and they love to quote this verse to us. And so we have to take a look at this passage here and say, what is Jesus really saying? Was he saying that we should never, ever make a judgment of someone or never, ever make a judgment on a situation? I don't think so. I don't think that's what he was actually saying because if we read through the rest of his teachings, we actually do sometimes make judgments of people and stuff. Like, we're not always supposed to do certain things or or be certain places or, or hang with certain people or let them get away with certain things. And so we do need to make some judgments. I mean, think about it. If there were no judgments, if there, if there were no agreed upon laws or standards or whatever that we all sort of lived by, our world would be in chaos, right? If, if there were no driving laws and if you drove the way you wanted to drive and I couldn't judge you, and there was no person who could judge you, no court of law, and I could drive the way I wanted to drive, it wouldn't be a very safe place to drive. If in my world red meant go, and green meant go, and yellow meant go, and I just like to go, that wouldn't be a safe place for everybody. And so we, so we know that's not a logical conclusion to say that, yeah, yeah, everybody can do whatever they want, but yet that's sort of the kind of world that is out there uh, that uh, we want to have, where there is no judging and, and everybody's tolerant of everything. Whatever we want to do sort of goes. But that world doesn't make sense. And so Jesus wasn't saying, no, you, you, you don't judge at all. He's, he, he's, he's saying something different. And the reason that we, we need to judge, we need to have truth, we need to hold up truth, is, is because wrong choices have consequences. And we need to warn people. We need to help people. I need to be warned. I need to be helped. My wrong choices have consequences, and I need the Scriptures and others to help me to follow them. We need truth. So, what is Jesus actually saying? Well, the word judge in the Greek word is the word krino. And it specifically means to judge a person's motives. We don't have the right or the ability to judge someone else's motives. I can't see into your heart, even if I think maybe what you're doing is wrong. I, I can't see into your heart to see why you did something. I can't see into your mind to see what your motives really were. I need to take the time to get to know. I need to try to take the time to understand what your motives were or what your actions, why you did them. And that's what Jesus is saying because what we typically do when we judge someone is we've taken a, 
a snapshot of their life. We see something they say, maybe it's on Facebook, or we hear something that they say, maybe in a speech, or we see something that they do because they're our neighbor, or we see whatever, and we take a, a snapshot of their life. And then we judge them based on that single frame or those few frames that we have of their lives. And while first impressions are important, they certainly aren't everything. You certainly don't get to know everything about a person from one single snapshot. I told you that today is Ellie's birthday, and and one of the things that we'll probably do today is look back at some of her photo albums, right, from when she was a baby. And as she grew up, oh my goodness, that's cute. And when I look at these pictures, they mean a lot more to me than if I were to sit here and bore you through every single picture in this album, right? Why? Because I know the story behind each one. I know the context. I know what happened before. I know what happened after. I know everything about this. I know the background to each photo. And you don't. You just have a snapshot. And we walk around and we judge people based on these snapshots that we take of their lives. And we don't have the background story. We don't know what happened before. We don't know what happened after. We don't even try to understand. That's why snapshots aren't a great way to live. While a picture may say a thousand words, there are 10,000 words that it's not saying. We don't know what those are. And so Jesus is railing against Christians, the people he was talking to, his followers, his people, making judgments of others based on a snapshot of their life, based on a single still photo of their life, of their world, of their view of the world. And that's why it's sad that we are known more for what we stand against than what we stand for. It's sad that as Christians, we are known for our intolerance. And when we read the scriptures, Jesus was so much about truth, but he was also so much about grace and known for his tolerance. People were amazed. When you read the New Testament, they were shocked at how accepting he was of people that he would be around. And if we would see Jesus alive in our world, we'd probably be shocked and we probably would judge him because we'd just see him with that person or see him doing this one thing and we would just take a snapshot and say, whoa, who is that guy? Jesus was railing against that. You see, there's a background story to every person. There's a background story to every situation. And so Jesus gives us a few reasons to not judge people through snapshots. Not judge them just based on this single frame from their lives. Not try to judge their motives without getting to know the person. And here's a couple of reasons. Number one, Jesus gives through the rest of this passage. He reminds this crowd that there is a judge. There is a judge, but it's just not you. There is a judge, it's just not you. Take a look, let's read verses 1 and 2 again. Jesus said, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, 
it will be measured to you. And so, inherent in this verse, and we read it, is that there will be judgment, and there is a judge, and every person will be judged. It's just not you. That's not our role. That's not our job. Remember, I said a world that doesn't have any rules, a world that only has tolerance, that does not work. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, hey, let's not talk about the wrong things people are doing. No, he knows that sin has consequences. Jesus was saying, don't judge. He wasn't being weak or wishy-washy. He was just saying, it's not your job. There already is a judge. It just isn't you. That's what we have to remember. When we're concerned about people saying, well, what happens if, if they keep doing what they're doing? Or, or what if, if, I don't, if I don't tell them or if I don't stop them or if I don't let them know what they're doing is so wrong or if I don't give them what I think or if I don't do this or that or whatever, then, then no one, no, no, there is a judge. It's just not you. They'll, they'll be judged. Okay, every single person in the sound of my voice will stand in judgment one day. There is a final court. We're just not that final court. Now, there, there's something that's kind of broken inside of us as humans that we just naturally feel like we are free to judge others because somehow we think we are superior. We think that we are the standard. You know, the, and, and we have to recognize that because we sort of are, in our minds, we just judge everybody based on us. You know, better than us, worse than us, whatever. But somehow, in our minds, we're the standard. And it kind of has to sort of be like that. But we have to be honest about that and, and recognize that and say, listen, I'm not the standard. I'm, I'm not the judge. I'm not the final authority on these matters. So many fights, so much war has taken place and is taking place because people assume that they know better. Because their way of life is better. And, and if we're really honest, we usually assume because we are better. And we judge other people. And, and that's a dangerous belief. Not only for the world, a place where everybody thinks they're right, or their, their way of living is right, or their culture is right, but it's also dangerous for us as the person who's being the judge. And that's what Jesus is saying. In the same way that you judge others, you'll be judged. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. That's a scary statement. That's supposed to stop you in your thoughts. Whoa. Jesus is the judge. And one day, he will judge you. And what if he uses the same system of judging that you use to judge other people? That's a scary thought. That should scare you. Because when you set yourself as the judge, you're saying, you're saying I, I, I know everything. I'm an authority on the entire law of God. And you are doing something wrong with this or whatever it is. And Jesus will come to us and we won't be able to fall on our ignorance and say, I, I didn't know. Jesus said, yeah, you did. You were, you were the authority, I thought. You were the judge. You, you, you felt free to judge others, and, and so I, I assumed you knew everything. I assumed you did everything perfect. I, I assumed that you were an authority on all matters, re 
you know, pertaining to God's law. You, you felt free to act like that. And with the same measure that we measure others, we will be measured. Isn't that what it says? That's scary. Jesus says, listen, you're not the judge. The way that we judge others will affect the way that we will be judged. Here's a great example of this. Michael Phelps, got a picture of him. Great Olympic athlete, right? You would have think that he had the worst Olympic Games ever at London, right? He only won like a few gold medals. He only, he won a silver. He should have thrown that in the trash. Why was he treated like that by the commentators? Because he set a standard for himself four years ago when he won like every gold medal that was there. He was winning swimming. I mean, he was, I think he was on the basketball team for the men. And I think he was volleyball. He, he won every gold medal at the Beijing Games. And if he didn't win every single gold medal at this one, then it was going to be a failure because he had set a standard for himself. And now he is measured against that standard and he didn't live up to it. He got second place. When we set ourselves up to say, this is the standard, and we, we become then measured against that, is what God is saying. And when we hold people up and say, you must be perfect, and you must live here, and you must, well, I need grace, but you must not have grace. You must, we like those passages that when God talks about judging, and God talks about, you know, they got to be right, and they got to live perfectly. We like applying those to other people. For ourselves, we like the ones where it talks about His grace and His forgiveness and His mercy. And somehow those apply to us, but they don't apply to other people. They don't apply to my wife. They don't apply to my husband. They definitely don't apply to my kids. They don't apply to the people that I work with, not my boss. You know, God, judge Him. Yeah, get him. I like those ones for them. Jesus says, listen, if you judge with only truth and you have no grace... That's how you'll be judged. Sometimes, you know, it even happens in the church. We, we, we compare, we set ourselves up as the standard within the church. You know, I, I've noticed, you know, in my own life and, and in other people's lives, we, we set up these patterns that help us to grow, these spiritual disciplines. You know, whether it's, you might be a person that just has your time with God every single morning. And, and that's so important to you and crucial to you in your growth. And you've grown in tremendously in your faith because you've done that. Or, or you set a pattern of, of physical exercise or whatever because that helps you to grow in your faith. And, and it helps you to, to stay disciplined in other areas of your life. Or, or you're a person that you know, loves to be outside and, and loves to, to walk through nature and, 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 and loves to connect with God there. And, and that's so good for you. Or maybe you're a person um, that sets standards to say, this is the kind of media, you know, that I'm going to watch. You know, whether it's movies or television, I'm not going to watch these things. But I, I kind of set these patterns. And they help you to grow. And they're good things. But what becomes dangerous is when we take our personal set of standards and we start to apply them to other people in the church. And we say, listen, you have to live by my rules. I know the scripture doesn't say that. But listen, I'm doing it and it's helping me grow. And you must do it too. What happens sometimes is we take our own personal standards and we place them above the authority of Scripture. And we say that this is how everyone must live, like I do. And, and this is how everyone must do it, like, like me. And we take our personal standards and we make them higher than they ought to be. Personal standards are awesome. I have lots of them. 
personal disciplines are great. I try to use them in my life to help me gain in my relationship with Christ and grow. But listen, I don't have the right to tell you to live like I want to live unless it's the authority of Scripture. We all agree on this. But when it becomes more than that, when it becomes my personal preferences or my personal standards, I I don't have the right to do that. See, I'm not your dad. We have a dad, it's just not me. And, And that's why I don't parent other people's kids. Right, I have some neighbors that live across the street from me, good friends of ours, the Shermans, they come to Grace here. And their daughter, Kyla, is a good friend of my daughter, Ellie's. And uh, I, I don't sit Kyla down and say, no, listen, Kyla, I'd like you to be in bed at a certain time. I, I'd like you to, to do your homework at this certain time. And I'd like you to not hang out with these kids over here. I'd like you to, to do this or, you know. And, and, uh, and then later in the evening, I don't call up Sean, be like, hey, Sean, um, I talked to Kyla the other day about uh, when I wanted her to be in bed, and I'm noticing her lights on. Um, I'd, I'd like you, she needs to go to sleep. Sean, hello, Sean. Right? I don't neighbor, I don't parent other people's kids. I'm not going to set their kids to say they got to live up to my standards, my personal family standards. I have rules for my kids, and you have rules for your kids. But unless your kids are in my house or in my yard or doing something that's affecting me, I'm not going to parent them. And so the same is true. I, I can't hold you up to my standards. You have a dad, and I have a dad, and we will stand before our dad one day, and we will be judged. And I better be careful to make sure I'm living according to this book right here. And so should you, because you will be judged, and so will I. But I'm, but I'm not your dad. Jesus says, listen, there is a judge. It's just not you. And he gives a second reason for us to not judge. You know, the second one is this. Everyone will see that you're not perfect. In other words, everyone will see that you're a hypocrite. When you set yourself up as this, as this righteous person that always does everything right, and you're always judgmental of other people, and you're always critical of everyone else, it's not like people don't know you're not perfect. And, and they see you for being a hypocrite. Take a look at verse 3. That's what Jesus was saying. He gives this great illustration. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is a great illustration for Jesus because he grew up as a carpenter. Now, he knew all about working in the wood shop and getting sawdust in his eyes. His stepfather, Joseph, brought him up in the trade, no doubt. Jesus knew his way around wood, right? And, and I have to believe, sometimes he'd be working in the workshop, and I thought about this this week and kind of laughed to myself. Maybe you'll laugh. And he's sitting there in the workshop, and now you remember, God was 100%, or Jesus was 100% God. He was also 100% man. And so sometimes, I'm not sure how that worked out in his mind, if sometimes he thought in his human mind or his God mind or whatever, but I kind of I kind of was thinking about it this week. And, and, you know, I had to believe, you know, he's working in the shop. Man, he gets sawdust in his eye. In, in his human side, he has to be frustrated, like, man, you know, he gets this out of his eye. On, on his God side, he had to be thinking, you know, couldn't I have, like, been on earth when they had goggles? You know? I couldn't the Romans have been the one to figure out, you know, goggles protect your eyes from sawdust. 
And, and, and maybe now I kind of was thinking, I was kind of letting my mind go a little bit. I don't know. And hopefully this is okay. And I'm thinking, you know, he had to have thought, why couldn't I be around when there were power tools? Because power tools are awesome. Yesterday I was using a saw. It was awesome. Not like a saw, but like a saw. Jesus thinking, man, what I could do with some power tools. But he's there in the wood shop, and he's using his tools, and he's getting sawdust in his eyes, and he's thinking, this is a great illustration. You know, this person's judging me because I got sawdust in my eye, and, and they're over there with a two-by-four just sticking out of their eye, and they think they can see well enough to, to help someone else out. Jesus says, listen, people are going to see you're a hypocrite. We, it, it's kind of funny for us to think about, to picture that in our mind, a person walking around with a two-by-four, but, but it's sort of not funny because it happens all the time. We judge other people as if we're the standard of perfection. You know, change starts with owning up to our own shortcomings. How, how can you begin to help someone overcome their shortcomings, their sin, when you haven't taken time to overcome yours? Hypocrisy comes out of our hearts. Jesus was talking to a crowd that was littered with people who believed that they knew God's standard for living. The Pharisees, you guys have heard Jim or myself or Rich tell, tell this before, maybe you knew this, but they had developed a system of laws, 613 different laws, personal standards that they had set to say, this is how you must live. And if you don't live this way, then you're not a God follower. They had set up, and Jesus was, was talking to this group of people who, who believed that they were so religious and they were so right. But listen, he knew their hearts. And when we're judging somebody, when we're being a hypocrite, listen, we're not primarily trying to point out their faults to help them. We're pointing out their faults to condemn them. To say, you're not as good as I am. You got problems. We're not pointing out their, their, their faults out. Our primary concern is not to help others towards holiness, but is to be self-righteous, to be unmerciful and to be condemning. See, we can't hide what's in our hearts. But when we recognize our brokenness, when we recognize that we must be humble, then God will begin to change our hearts. God will begin to change our lives. And people will see, he's not a hypocrite. He, he's trying to live just like God wants him to live, but he's not perfect. But they can accept it because my heart is humble, because my heart is, is, is low, recognizes that I'm broken and weak as well. Take a look at uh, James chapter 2. Keep your finger in Matthew 7, but flip to James chapter 2. It's right after the book of Hebrews. If you can find Hebrews, you'll find James right after it. It's a little guy, so it's hard to find. James, and he was the, the half-brother of Jesus. He was probably sitting there hearing this sermon or other sermons like it that Jesus would give, and, and later he kind of reflects on it and he writes some more by the same kind of thoughts, James chapter 2, verses 10 to 13. I'll read it for you. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking, what's that word? All of it. Let me say that again. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, don't commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And he who said, don't commit adultery, or, I'm sorry, but if you commit adultery, but don't commit murder, you're still a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy 
will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's not that we don't judge, but we do it with a heart that also has some mercy in it. We sprinkle in some grace into our relationships with people. Jesus says, man, if you don't show mercy, you won't be shown mercy. But when we have that humble attitude that says, listen, I can help you in this area. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect in every other area. I'm a lawbreaker just like you. I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner just like you. But I can come and help you in this area. I can come alongside and and help you out. That kind of attitude, that kind of spirit will oftentimes be accepted. And people will say, yes, I want your help. Thank you for caring enough about me. We can't hide what's in our heart. Whether we've broken one law or we've broken 20, or more than likely we've all broken a couple hundred or a thousand, whatever. We're all lawbreakers, all in need of God's grace and forgiveness. The ground is level. And when we approach people as if we're on ground that is level with them, they are much more open to hearing what God has to say. It's when we talk to people from up here and they don't want to hear what we have to say. Jesus says, don't judge everyone. There's a judge, but you're not it. Second, he says, when you judge, people see you're a hypocrite. And then third, he says, don't judge. And this is the most important. Watch this. Number three, you will miss the chance to help your neighbor. Jesus says, don't judge. Don't be critical. Don't be a person who's always so harsh because you actually miss the chance to help your neighbor. Because once you've dealt with your own sin, then you have a chance to actually help your brother overcome their sin. Look back at this illustration Jesus gives, Matthew 7. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, verse 4, when all the time there's this plank in your own eye, verse 5, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, why? Then you will see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so again, it's not that we never judge. It's not that we don't say this is wrong. It's not that we don't say here's truth. It's not that we don't say, you know, we got to stand up for something. But we do it with an attitude that says, hey, I'm working on some stuff too. But listen, there is a problem here. I I need to warn you of something. There's consequences to to your decisions. There's consequences to sin. And and I need to tell you about them because I care about you. Judging stops us at the point of accusing. Judging, when we judge, we just, we don't get any further than accusing. And that's not our role. Uh, There is an accuser. We don't want to be him. Our role is to help someone to get past their sin, to overcome their sin, not to judge them for it. My role is to come alongside and help understand why someone maybe struggles the way they do. Whether it's my child, whether it's a friend or even myself, I look and say, man, what is it about me? Why do I do these things? Why do I mess up here? Why? So that I can begin to overcome. Sometimes we judge ourselves. God says, no, come alongside. Come alongside each other. Help each other. Remove the specks. Remove the sin from your life. God will judge. That's not our role. Ours is to understand, to come alongside. Second mile walking Christians go beyond judging. 
and we are willing to walk arm in arm with people to help them overcome their lives' setbacks. We are willing to get to know the backstory of someone. It takes time. It's so easy just to take that snapshot, just to take a look at that one second and just make a judgment about that person from that one shot that we have of them. It takes time. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes compassion to be willing to spend time with someone, to get to know them, to understand why they are the way they are, to understand why they believe what they believe, to understand why their political position is what it is, to understand all those things. When we sit down with someone, it's easy to kind of judge them maybe on Facebook, write something back to them. But when we sit down across the table from them and we actually have a conversation with them and we hear their side of the story and we come at them with humility, people are much more open to that kind of truth. We'll miss the chance to help our neighbor. You see, we've not earned the right to engage someone's issues until we have engaged that person. We've not earned the right to just talk to them about their stuff until we've taken the time just to talk to them, to get to know them, to engage them as a person. God does this. He engages us as people. Listen, he he didn't judge from up in heaven, although he certainly could have because he exists everywhere and he's omnipresent. But yet he saw as important to come down to earth, to become like one of us, to get on our turf, to understand us. The scripture says that Jesus was perfected. He was made complete in every way. He became like us to understand us so that he could be a faithful high priest for us. God did that. And I guarantee the more that you get to know people, the more that you get to know them without judging them, you will then become their advocate like Jesus is for us. You will become their high priest. You want to fight for them. You will want to defend them. You will want to help people understand them like Jesus does for us. I love this passage even here in Genesis. Turn really quickly back. This story, Genesis uh, 18. Genesis chapter 18, Jesus, I'm sorry, God is, uh, of course it was Jesus, they're the same, but anyway. Uh, God is looking at uh, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you know the book of Genesis, you know that these were just wicked, wicked cities. All kinds of stuff was happening there, and God uh, has, has, is deciding whether or not to judge these cities. But I love this picture of God in verse 20 and 21. Genesis 18, verse 20 says, The Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, their sin is so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. And if not, I will know. The picture that we get of God right there, He knew what was happening. He's He knows everything. He's omniscient. But yet God, to put the scripture into words that we can understand as humans, to wrap our minds around it, he gives himself as a great example of being willing to go down to these towns to see if what he was, quote-unquote, hearing was actually true. Because, I mean, he knew it. He wasn't hearing it. Like, oh, really? That's news to me. He knew it, but he was willing to go down to see if what was happening was really what he had heard about before he made his judgment of that town, of those towns. What amazing picture of God. 
being willing to get on to the level of some people. We must get close to people. We must get dirty with people. We must humble ourselves to know we're not perfect. We must move forward over our sin. We must be, you know, working on our stuff so that we can actually help other people. And we're taking steps towards them to come alongside them to be able to overcome, help them overcome whatever speck is in their life. Now let me just touch for real, real briefly for a second on this last verse here, verse 6. It says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That is not the verse to read to your three-year-old at night. To give them comfort. Let me just give you a word from the Lord, honey. What does that mean? <laughs> well, just real kind of brief. Jesus sort of wraps up this teaching here because he's a realist. He lived in the real world. And he wraps it up by saying this. Listen, don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't, don't throw pearls to swines. Now, now, dogs in the Bible were not like domesticated, you know, um, dogs that we have today as pets that we sort of love, okay? Th they were like these, you didn't have a family dog, unless maybe you were a shepherd, maybe you would, but even then, maybe not. They were like these mongrels that sort of just kind of roamed the countryside. You know, if you've ever seen uh, uh, Hunger Games, that's the picture, okay? And they, they're just crazy half-dogs running around the side. That, that's, they, you wouldn't think about giving them food. You wouldn't even want to get close to them for fear, you know, that you'd be attacked. And same with pigs. They, they were like as unclean to a Jewish person as you could get. And so you, you didn't like give them your best stuff. Here's the point Jesus is making. If a person doesn't want to hear it, sometimes just there's not even worth talking to them. If, even if you sometimes come to people with extreme humility, sometimes you come to people and you are extremely humble, extremely gracious, extremely kind, and you want to help them and you point something out to them, they still may not want to hear it. And Jesus says, just, just, hey, that's okay. Love them, but just let it there. Let it alone. No need to keep on going at it because it's not going to do any good anyway. You know, in other scriptures, Paul and Barnabas would shake their, their hands and say, you know, this town doesn't want to hear the gospel. We'll go to the next one. Jesus would do that. His, his, his apostles would do that. Sometimes you go to a person, you're humble. Check your heart, make sure you are humble. And they still say you're judgmental. And you just say, you know what? I'm going to love you, but, you know, I'm going to keep talking about this. This is witless where it is. And that's what Jesus is, wrapping this up. Here's what I want to say to you as we close. John chapter 1, verse 17, tells us that Jesus came in truth and grace. That he embodied them both, filled to the brim with both truth and grace. Jesus did not give up the truth. Jesus didn't give up the truth, and he's not asking us to either. But he was filled with both truth and grace. See, judging is truth without any grace. That's what judging is, Jesus says. Don't judge like that. Don't give just truth without any grace. Judging doesn't abandon the truth, but it abandons the person. On the opposite side, when we're 100% tolerant and say, hey, anything goes, no, no big, 
That doesn't abandon the person, but it abandons the truth. Neither way works. Like Christ, we must live with both grace and truth. One of my favorite drinks as it gets colder. I'm kind of excited about the fall and winter coming. One of the, my favorite drinks is, is hot cocoa. I don't drink coffee. I, uh, it stunts your growth. And I, I like to think that I have a couple more inches in me. Some of us, though, walk around with people, and people want a refreshment, right? It's, it's the time of the year where it just tastes good. And all we're willing to do is offer people hot water. Have you ever drank a cup of hot water? It's not super refreshing. It's not super fulfilling. It doesn't bring comfort. It's not like, mm, that's really good. It's not like that. Do you know what it does? It just burns. And some of us are walking around just giving people truth all the time, just burning people with our hot water, just throwing it right on them. Josh, just kidding. On the other hand, some of us walk around and all we want to do is offer people the sweet stuff. We never want to call them on anything. We never want to stand up for anything. We never want to call people on the truth. And we just want to give them grace. And we just want to be sweet. You know what? Cocoa on its own? Isn't very satisfying either. (laughs) Not so good. We offer people just grace. It's only half the picture of Jesus. Jesus is willing to offer people truth, filled to the brim. He was also willing to offer people grace filled to the brim. And you know what? Sometimes you can't separate them. Sometimes you feel like, man, am I offering too much grace? Or am I offering too much truth? That's a good place to live with that tension. You can't see the difference. You can't see where the truth is. You can't see where the grace is. Jesus somehow is perfectly both. And the world is looking for this type of church. The world is looking for this type of Christian that is willing to live with the tension of, I don't, am I offering too much grace? Am I offering too much truth? I don't know. Because that's how Jesus lived. He was right in the middle. He was perfect, 100% truth. He was perfect, 100% grace. We can never be like that, but that is what we try to do. Jesus said, do not judge, because he loves people. But he didn't say, just offer him grace, because he loves people. They need to know the truth. They need to know the grace of God. Jesus, we need your help because, uh, Lord, other way we fall to one side or the other. It's so easy just to judge. It's so easy just to give love and not say anything. Lord, somehow you want us to live in the middle. Somehow you want us to offer both grace and truth. And Lord, we must because that's what our world needs. Jesus, we live in a community that needs you, that needs the truth of your scripture, but also needs the love of a God who came to this world to offer forgiveness. Help us this week to offer both. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.